Hey, hey, welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches, the show some people describe as like the Joe Rogan experience, but better because it's with Tom. Special shout out to Sea Charmed for their five-star rating and review on iTunes. Sea Charmed had this to say about In the Trenches. Quote, Tom has an interesting point of view that I find authentic and relatable. And must listen podcast for your daily commute on the road to pursuing greatness. End quote. Thanks, Sea Charmed. You have an ear for great podcasts. On today's call, I sit down with Michael Neely. Michael is a podcasting veteran, and in today's call, we break it all down for you, including why you should start a podcast in 2020, how a podcast can make a great tax write-off, and how to launch and grow a podcast for nearly $0 out of pocket, and how to get tremendous traction relatively quickly. And yes, that's today in this environment where it seems like everybody and their mother is starting a podcast. Believe it or not, the market is not super saturated. And while there's tons of big takeaways just like that from today's call, my number one takeaway is this, and it's kind of a two-parter. Number one, that everyone should have a podcast for reasons we break down on the call. And number two, that a podcast is the perfect side hustle and a great way to start a side business and reap the rewards of tax write-offs and much more. I've been saying to close friends and acquaintances for many, many years that they should, that everybody should have a business or a side business. It's such a no-brainer thing to me to get set up. And a uh, podcast is a great way to do it. You can pick a podcast on the topic of your interest and then start a business, a side business around that. And that might allow you to do some really creative and cool things uh, with your money related to that topic. So I'll let Michael break it down on the call. So you're in for a lot of great stuff today. And of course, if you enjoyed today's conversation, please leave a rating review at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you're listening to this podcast, go ahead and leave a review. It would really mean a lot to me. All right, enough suspense. Let's get to today's conversation. So Michael, let's start with podcasting. What's the deal? Why, why do we need it in 2020? And uh, what, what's, what's the landscape looking like right now when it comes to podcasting? Yeah. You know, Tom, I love that question because podcasting is really, I think, on the grow. Now, there have been many people who've said through the years since podcasting started really back in you know early 2000s, 2004-ish, that podcasters have a resurgence and podcasting is dead. And we've heard all these stories, but the truth is it's been on a steady climb ever since the beginning. And I personally, though, do think that there is a big surge happening right now. And in just to put that in perspective, just recently, Spotify entered into a contract with Joe Rogan. The Joe Rogan Experience is the number one podcast in the world. They paid him over $100 million, I feel like a little bit like Austin Powers there, one of the characters in that, to have his show exclusively on Spotify. Now, with Spotify putting that kind of money just to get the exclusivity of having him on their platform, you know podcasting is happening. And it, it, it's where the puck is, you know, the, I love hockey. Wayne Gretzky, the, the hockey great, attributes his success to the fact that he would skate to where the puck was going to be, not where it was. And I think podcasting is where the puck is going to be. And so what, what, about, what about that, though? Has it, like, has it evolved? Re, like, it looks like... So I've been podcasting for like three or four years, maybe more than that. Jeez. And I know it's been around for like, in some sort of form or fashion for probably like a decade or so. Um, but like the term podcasting, I think is probably maybe like, I don't know, five to 10 years old, give or take. Um, but like this, what, what about it is changing now? Like what makes it better now? Like, is it one of those things where it's like, if you miss the boat, you already missed the boat or is it worthwhile to think about getting into it now? 
Yeah, I definitely think it's worthwhile to get into it just to give a, a brief history in the world of podcasting because I am also a student of the industry. Podcasting really started back in about 2003, 2004, and they were originally called audio blogs. And I think there was an article that came out in The Guardian when it first they coined the term podcasting because a lot of them were being released on iPods at the time. And so that's when it got its introduction. And uh, for those who may just want a little extra geek out trivia, pod, of course, standing for personal or portable on demand broadcast. That's what the word even comes from. And so, you know, you're not too late. Of course, it would have been great if you had launched a show back in 2004. A lot of those OGs in the podcasting space have done really well. But it's getting this big piece right now because of, I think, a couple of key factors. We are a time-crunched society. And why that uh, impacts podcasting is because we like to get a lot of stuff done at the same amount of time. And podcasts are something that you can listen to while you're driving or commuting or jogging or working out at the gym or doing something else. You can still consume a podcast. Not the same with video content or reading like a blog or a book. That's what's making podcasts more and more interesting to people is I think that element that you can do it while you're doing something else. So for somebody who's listening to this, um, does not have a podcast, we'll, we'll just assume that the person maybe is interested in the idea of it. If you have like a core business, I think, it, I think the, the ways in which it can kind of integrate might be more apparent. But for those who don't say have a business or maybe they have a side hustle going on or something like that. So the idea of podcasting is kind of blue ocean or it's like, what well, I could do anything with this. What's like the first step in this? Like, how do we decide where to aim or where to focus, especially because there's a giant proliferation of podcasts? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's such a great question. I was chatting even with just one of my clients the other day about this. And she's like, oh, there's so many different ideas of podcasts I could do. And so one of the things that I teach, because being a podcaster yourself, I'm sure you're also aware of the term pod fading. And that is because so many podcasts in the industry, they don't make it past seven episodes. And I think that happens because they didn't have a well-thought-out plan. When they started, they just go, oh, I'll do a podcast about this. I actually teach people to reverse engineer it. And so if you're doing it as a business, not saying that you have to, but if you're going to do it as a business, I suggest you start with, okay, as a business person or even as a, an information deliverer, let's call it that, you maybe want to create a course or maybe you've written a book. And you want to share that information with the world. So the first step is, what do you have to sell? Is it a book or a course or private coaching, whatever you're selling? That's step one. Step two is who buys it? Like if you're already selling it, who are your buyers? And then the next piece is, okay, what kind of a show can I create that will attract my ideal audience? And I think that is a key element to having a successful podcast is because then you can grow it to really grow your business, you know, turn it into a revenue stream. And I'm not saying that's the only way. And I host four shows and each one is handled a little bit differently. So I'm happy to cover those as well. But I think that's one of the primary ways to look at is how can I monetize this? Does that get into the conversation then around, I guess that's part of the, or, or as you look at that, as you ask that question and try to figure it out, part of that then gets into format and things like that, right? So Maybe break that down for me a little bit. Let's maybe take a hypothetical example or a real life example, maybe one of your clients or something like that. Somebody who had a course to start with. Yeah. Maybe selling information. That might be a good place to start because if you have a course, you know, it is information, you're selling information or an uh, ebook or something like that or 
coaching, consulting, like you are kind of selling information. So then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, here's a podcast. If all my stuff's on there for free, what's the, what's the incentive to come back and buy from me? Right. So I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that. Absolutely. Well, and it's, it's so interesting that question because one of the newest shows that I released is called The PodQuest Show, and it's all about podcasting. Well, it just so happens that I have an, an online podcasting course called the Zero to Launch Podcast Accelerator. So as I built this new podcast, and, and by the way, I've had my course for years now, but I thought, okay, let me create a podcast that will attract my ideal audience. So the people who tune in to the PodQuest show are people who want to know more about podcasting. Now, is that show going to give them everything that's in my course? Yeah, maybe. If they listen to it over a long period of time, they will pick up every little nugget that is available in my course, but the course still offers more. So that would be the first step to say is that, and this is true, by the way, of pretty much anything. I even teach this at my live events. I'll tell people right up front, there's nothing I'm going to share with you now that isn't available for free somewhere out there in the world. The difference is I'm going to save you a lot of time because I've already curated and gathered all of the insights into one tiny little package. So it saves you time and money in that respect. Now with my show, the PodQuest show, I know that it's going to attract the right audience who will then be ideal clients for my course. But to touch on another part of your, maybe a little hidden part of your question, Tom, is in how do you market it from the podcast? I also teach my people this, that really direct from a podcast, it's difficult to sell anything over $197 if you're going to sell it direct. And it's, it's just because you've got to have a little more time with the people. You've got to build up the no-like trust factor. So instead, what I suggest people do, unless you're just selling a book, which you could sell, sure, or you could sell those all day long on your podcast direct if you've got a $997 offer or something like that. But with a bigger ticket offer, the ideal thing is give stuff away for free, get people to opt in for those items, you know, translate them into your email list, and then start to continue to build that relationship. Give them more and more good stuff. And then whenever you do have a sale on your course, or maybe you've got a webinar that you could offer them that's also free that will spend a little more time and, and really give them the value of what the course is so they get it, that's how you would sell a bigger ticket item. So for you, as a, just an example, maybe we're just, we'll use this as one because it's couldn't be more appropriate. I mean, a little meta because we're talking about podcasting. Uh But you have the podcast course. You're rolling out the podcast um, itself as kind of lead gen um, for the course. So what? how did you then kind of, as you kind of backward plan that or uh, broke it down, like the idea of like using this as lead generation, what did you kind of, how much did you scope out what you were going to produce? Like episode one, two, three, four. Because I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people, um, also podcasters and aspiring podcasters, people just getting started. And I think this is a common challenge or question. Um, maybe not even a challenge, more just like in their head, they think it's this massive thing. So I just wonder how much did you plan out for this before and how much do you want to produce before you even roll out the podcast, for instance? I know in the past yeah. it was like, oh, you want to have like 10 episodes, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe you can give me a... Those, that's a couple of questions with maybe a few more questions kind of hidden in there. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. No, these are great questions all. And, and I actually think that it's really wise when you launch a podcast to first off launch with about five episodes. I think five is kind of the sweet spot number. And the reason is, is you want people when they first check you out to have a little bit of a variety. Maybe they didn't like that episode, but they liked the other one. And so now you've got a better potential to have somebody stick around and subscribe. So first of all, launch with five. 
I think it also helps your algorithm. You know, you can get a lot more downloads in that day one when someone comes in and they're checking out your show and you've worked hard to get them to come and give it a look. Well, now they've got five downloads instead of just one download. So launch with five. And then I think it is a good idea to have maybe five or 10 episodes in the can in your back pocket, if you will, so that those are now available to be released weekly in case you get sick or in case you decide to take a vacation. You want to not have to be panicking at the last minute and going, oh, crap, I'm supposed to have an episode out tomorrow and I don't have anything. And so that's why I think it's good to have a buffer of maybe five to 10 episodes. But now for my particular instance with this show, it's unique in that this is the only show of my four podcasts that I host that I actually use an editorial calendar Hmm. where I actually, if I were interviewing you on the show, which I will be interviewing you, we're scheduled to do this thing, that I already know in advance what that episode number is going to be and the date that it will be released. Hmm. It's the only show that I do that with. My other ones, I'm more haphazard. I'm like, oh, let me release this one today or whatever. But that show is more on a calendar. And it's not that it needs to be. It's just that I've chosen that route. But quite honestly, I'm only probably about four weeks ahead of the game. So in other words, if I didn't do any interviews for the next four weeks, I would have enough in the can to get me there. But that's about it. And then so I need to keep booking people. Was there a reason then for doing that for this one in particular? Um, Like having more of a scoped plan? Yeah, I think part of it, as you mentioned too, about like how did I kind of come up with the idea and the concept for this one? Uh, This one has somewhat of a unique layout. I offer three different types of episodes. One of them is a solo show where it's just me talking about and training about a particular topic in the podcasting space. Another version is an interview show where I'll bring on a podcaster like yourself and we'll talk about your journey and your things that you've learned along the way that will be of value to other podcasters who tune in. And then I do occasional roundtable discussions where I'll get together with a couple of my podcast friends and we'll tear apart a few topics in the podcasting space, maybe bust a few myths and stuff like that. So because of that, I thought, okay, I want to do three guest interviews, then a solo show, then three guest interviews, then a roundtable. I kind of wanted to mix it up a little bit like that. And so that's why I've kind of laid out more of an editorial calendar so that it doesn't become too much of one thing and not enough of another. That's the only reason. Did you start uh, when you started podcasting kind of, and also I'd like to know where you're at now and how you do it, but did you start by producing your own shows, editing, show notes, kind of get people to lay a land? Because I think when people come into this, or at least maybe <laughs> I've just been doing this for so long that I, I just consider it like common sense almost, like just because I'm like, oh yeah, podcast. So that includes obviously some sort of audio editing, the production side of publishing it, um, you know, show notes, presumably, you know, the creation of those. And then, of course, then the big one, which I'm, we'll come back around to maybe is like, how do you get extra traffic, extra leverage? How do you market and promote the podcast? But in terms of the production side yeah. of things, did you start by doing that all yourself or did you outsource it? And, and how does that look now? Yeah, uh, it's a combination now, but in the beginning, and you're going to freak out a little bit about this, Tom, but when I first launched the first iteration of Consciously Speaking, my baby show, my firstborn, was in 2014. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I literally, someone said, hey, you should start a podcast. And I was like, what's a podcast? And 14 days later, I had my show up. And I, again, I didn't know what I was doing. It was sporadic. There was no consistency. And then one day I got an episode that, boom, it it struck a nerve somehow. I got 500 downloads right out of the gate with this episode. And for anybody who knows the industry, you understand that 
50% of the shows don't even get 130 downloads. You know, 50% do worse than that, 50% do better. 500 downloads was pretty hot, but it also made me think, whoa, wait a minute, what's going on here? There, maybe there's more to this podcasting thing than I thought. And so I found a mentor and I realized what a podcast could be. And then I shut down that show and I got to studying and upping my game. And then I relaunched as a seven day a week show. So that's a roundabout way to answer your question that at that point, I was doing it all, Tom. Well, what did the mentor tell you that made you shut it down and then you came back out to a seven-day... Like, give, give me a little bit of insight into that. I'm curious. Well, yeah. It made me realize how you could grow an audience and how you could make money with a podcast. I had no idea you could make money with it. I, I literally was just doing it kind of as a hobby, if you will, as a little bit of a fluke. And then when I learned you can make money with this and it could be part of your business and a profession. And so that's when I poured myself full into it as a seven-day-a-week show. And that's when my audience really started to grow and it took off. And I was doing everything. I was the editor. I was the guest wrangler. I was the producer. I was uh, doing the social media posting. I was uploading. I mean, everything. I had zero staff or help at all, not even a VA. And so I was putting in you know, seven-day-a-week show and each episode was about an hour. I was putting in about 50 hours a week on it. Yep. Craziness. I'm not suggesting anybody do that, by the way. But I learned a ton. Well, you know, I and I've heard, I know people that do that. Even to this day, one of one of my good buddies, um, who I think, I don't know if I'm, I think I can take credit for this, but he had me <laughs> on. I was his first interview guest on on Join Up Dots, um, and good show. Like, check it out. He, but he's been going. He has like maybe he has over a thousand episodes now. But um, he, I think, even to this day, I think now maybe he has it outsourced. But I remember for the longest time he was just doing everything himself, and he's like, yeah, I enjoy the process. And it's yeah. like, if that's your one thing, it's like not too bad. And he did this, he did a daily podcast as well. So it's like, when you choose that as a route, it's like, yeah, that's kind of an all in thing. Um, give me, give me the lay of the land here. Why aren't you doing a daily podcast with this one about podcasting? What's, what's changed now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, I started to get excited and I think this happens with a lot of podcasters. You can get bit by that bug and you go, Oh, I got an idea for another show. And Ooh, I got an idea for this show too. And so what happened was a couple of things. One is I, by the way, when I launched my show, I hadn't done my own reverse engineering. Like I had nothing to sell to these people. I grew this big audience and nothing to sell. So literally the first way I made money on it was through affiliate relationships. I would promote other people's stuff, which it, it allowed me to monetize it pretty early on, but none of my own stuff. So then I realized, okay, well, what is it that I do want to sell and that I have available? And that's when I created my second show, Buy This, Not That, the Entrepreneurial Tool Review. And that show, which I'm also going to have you on that one as well, is designed to actually generate revenue through affiliate relationships. And so totally different animal. And it attracts my right audience. And so having two shows, I thought, okay, well, I can't keep doing seven days a week with this one. So I originally dropped it down to three episodes a week in season two. And then I started taking on this other show. And then I got an idea for another show and launched that. And I dropped, consciously speaking, down to one a week. So I'm still producing a lot of podcasts, but I'm, it's spread out more. And the reason I'm not doing a daily for any of the others is because, I mean, it is a ton of work. And I also do live events. I have an online course. I teach a year-long training program. So there's a lot on my plate to not just be focusing on a podcast all the time. Is there any... I got a bunch of questions. So I'll probably go back and <laughs> forth on this. Uh, we'll, keep, we'll keep it to time though, I promise. Is there like... Okay, so... When I hear that, 
my mind goes both ways. I'm like, I see it as like, oh, it's really easy to get up and running and to get started. And yet at the same time, it is, it is still a puzzle. And that's part of the fun of it. Let's figure out like what's going to work for you, what's going to work for your audience, for your business, so to speak. Is there any merit, do you think, in somebody coming out with a podcast and saying, yeah, I want to do this and I'd love to do it seven days a week, but I want to do it as lean as possible with as little editing as possible, as little production as possible. Is there any value in doing something like that? Or is it at the point where it's like, if you're going to come out with something, and I know this is, there's, it's going to be something that's like, like so big. It's like, you'd have to get into specifics for this to really answer the question. But or, or is it that we're at a stage with podcasting where it's like the production level has to be at a certain quality? to be even recognized, so to speak. Does that question make sense, what I'm asking? Like in terms of Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I address it even in my online course. I address it a lot with my clients and people who are approaching me about how, what I call it is the depth of your edit. Mm. And there are shows that are entirely raw. And I use an example. I was being interviewed on this guy's podcast one time and all of a sudden his dog started yapping like crazy. And I paused and I said, should we wait until the dog stops? He's like, Oh no, I just recorded come what may and lop off the front end and back end and put it out there. I'm like, okay. You know, and if that's what your audience is used to and and you've taught them to expect that, then it's totally fine. There are a lot of podcasters who do a very raw show. And the truth is, man, it does cut down on the amount of time you have to worry about it. And yeah, and the and yeah, the time and the cost, of course, because you would start to outsource it. Um, it gets costly, or it can. And I know can, yeah. There's more uh, services now than ever before. When I first started, I think I started in, I guess, 2012 or 13. And it was a similar story. I interviewed a couple people and then I put the MP3 on my blog. And like by the second or third episode, he was like, it was Jeff Goins actually, who's like a great, great oh, writer. Yeah, 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 great dude. And he's like, you should make the po- make this into a podcast. I was like, okay. And I went, it's kind of like you said, it was like a week later, two weeks later, I was like, there's a podcast. I was like, and that's in the <laughs> yeah. trenches. That's what you're being interviewed on. So it still exists. I love it. I still do it. And I've never... I've, this is the only podcast I've ever run. I actually didn't backward plan this. I was just just interested in interviewing interesting people. And I found that... And I haven't monetized this through advertising. I have recently, like maybe in the last year, done like a bumper that like does some like calls to actions for different things to test it out. But even that, I don't, know, I don't know. I don't really track it that well. But I'll tell you what, it pays dividends just in the relationships alone. And that's why I've never stopped doing it. And because I can learn some good stuff. And so I still enjoy it. So I'm like, there's no reason for me not to continue doing this. Um, but I guess what I'm getting at like with that is just the relationships alone made it worthwhile. And it's, it's hard to express that, but it's like, it is. It's, it's hard to put a dollar figure to it, but I'd say I've made back whatever I've invested in this podcast, probably 10 times, maybe 100 times what I've invested in it because of that. Now, there are more, I guess, direct ways to monetize. So what do you recommend people look into? And I know there's a lot. And so I'm not necessarily looking for a list of all the ways to monetize, but I'm curious right now, is it like a prime time to look at getting, say, sponsorship, sponsorship? Or is it a great time where now, because of like the nature of the space, it's like a great opportunity to maybe be, like you said, if start with like your product or something like that and just be advertising for your own stuff. Like, but you also have a few different, I know you have a variety and you mentioned like affiliate play on one of them. Like, what's your take? I guess you're kind of dabbling in all of them. So what's working best for you? Yeah, no, I, I love that question as well, because there are so many fun ways to play in the monetization space. And there's also some myths around it that I think a lot of podcasters, rookies come into the space and they're way off base and it's like, it's a hard lesson. So I, I would say, first off, that 
there was a study done a few years back by Michael Stelzner of Social Media Marketing World. And he did a research of, of podcasters who were monetizing their shows, mind you. So this is just the ones who were actually monetizing because there are plenty who don't. 62% of them are making money on it by selling their own goods and services. So that's, that's a primary methodology. Now, one of my shows, Something to Whine About, W-I-N-E, is just a passion project. I do not make money on that as far as sponsorships, affiliates, anything, except one of the seven ways that I teach on money-making, one of them is I call freebies and write-offs. Because I have a wine industry show, and I live in wine country up here in Santa Cruz, California, close to Napa and Sonoma, when I go to wine country, even Paso Robles... Brilliant. Yeah, I taste for free. I don't have to pay for tastings. And because I'm considered industry, I get a 30% discount on wine. So if you have something that you're passionate about, start a podcast on it and you know reap the benefits. I've, I've said the same thing. I, I've also been a big uh, proponent of just people should start their own business, start a side hustle, have some sort of entity that they can um, you know, put some time and energy into it, but also just like there's lots of in, uh, advantages and incentives. I like the idea of starting a business r- with a podcast too. It's like two birds with one stone. Why not? Why not? That's great. Okay, fantastic. So, okay, so here's a question. What about for people, you mentioned a lot of people don't get past seven episodes. I'm in the 200s. I know uh, a lot of people I remember who were doing podcasts with me around the same time do not exist anymore. For So I, I can see that. I think, but what I've noticed is that for the ones I, I knew in the space maybe got to 20, 30, 50, maybe even 100 episodes and maybe got bored of it or, or shut it down for whatever reason. So what are your thoughts on somebody who starts to lose interest in the show? Do you just close it down? Do you shut it off? Or do you change up the, you know, the structure, the way you deliver? What do you do to kind of about that? Do you try to reinvigorate it or do you say, okay, move on to the next thing? Yeah, yeah. Wow, there's so many layers on that particular question, Tom. And one of the things that I feel is super important and something that a lot of podcasters don't consider, but I teach it this way, is like, look, when you start a podcast, think of yourself as a media company, okay? And partially that's also deals with the freebies and stuff. As a media company, you can get access behind the scenes and backstage, if you will, to a lot of stuff because of that. But here's the other piece of being a media company. When a network puts out their new season of programming, let's play with television because most people get television pretty easily. When a new season of shows comes out, they know that some of those shows are going to bomb. They're just going to absolutely tank. And what do they do? They cancel them and they put out a new show the next season in its place. And I think podcasting should be approached the same way. So and it's interesting you mentioned the 50 episode mark because there was, uh, I listened to one of the podcasts I choose to listen to. It's called The Feed from Libsyn. And they were just talking about how that's another point where a lot of podcasters seem to fade, where they'll go, okay, I gave it 50 and it's either not doing what I expected or I got bored with it or tired of it or whatever. But I think part of what, when one gets to that point, should really look at is, is it serving the purpose that I created it for? And if not, and by the way, maybe even pull the plug sooner, but you want to first try to give your new episode or your new show, I'm sorry, your new show, you want to give it legs. You want to give it that oomph, like when a network launches a new show, they give it some advertising to try to see if it's going to fly. And if it doesn't, then they pull it and they go, okay, let's try something else. And so I'm all for that because literally it's kind of like, in some ways, if you can think of it like playing the lottery, that 
you're looking for that one big hit. Most of those tickets are just going to be junk. I mean, at least this is the way the networks even do it, or even venture capitalists. When venture capital companies look at making 10 investments, they're figuring that most of those investments are going to fail, but they're looking for that one big home run that will make up for all of the losses. And so you probably are familiar with people in the space, maybe like Aaron Menke, who launched Lore. He had no idea that that thing was going to strike a nerve and take off. And it got turned into an Amazon you know, show on Amazon Prime, a TV series even. So it, it just takes that one thing. And so if your show's not working, shut it down, come up with another idea. Is there any, how about for somebody who's already gotten traction, like, and, and has consistent downloads or something like that? You know, it's like, so that's the other thing. I say, like with the blog, you can just stop blogging and it's like the property still exists online. It's like this digital space is very fascinating, you know, and how it's aging, so to speak. And like (laughs) now these questions are coming up because I'm like, you know, within the trenches, one of the reasons I keep doing it as well is because it's like the wheels moving. It's like, it's way easier for me to just hop on and do a call now because everything else is set up. I have had thoughts about, oh, maybe I should do a solo episode podcast or do something else in another space. I've been hesitant to shut this down. But also the other hesitancy I've had was, yeah, it's like, do I just lose everything I kind of just built up? Or is that not even really a, a thing? Maybe because I can just announce it on that podcast and have people shift over to the next one. What are your thoughts on this? Like in terms of, I don't know if there's an SEO part of this or, but there's an audience part of this for sure. Yeah. What about somebody who's already gotten traction and with that property, that asset? Is there any value in a podcast that doesn't produce anymore? Like, or is it not really an asset anymore? Well, yeah, I mean, again, you've got so many layers in that particular question. One thing I would say, and this is one of the values of podcasts, is that they do have that evergreen nature that they can live out there. And and this is another stat for you is that right now we just reached the 1 million podcast mark not too long ago. Okay, so now there are over a million podcasts out there. But here's the fact of that. It's not a noisy space, even at a million, because only 25% or so of those shows have put out any new material in the last 90 days. All right. So there are a lot of podcasts that are sitting out there that it's just old material, but it's still there. And I can tell you this, that with my show Consciously Speaking, I went on a seven-month hiatus between season, I think it was between season two and season three. And during that time, I was still getting 10,000 downloads a month. So that is a real value to having an archive of material like you've built up within the trenches that can sit there for a long time and it can continue to build your name, build your authority, drive you potentially even some more listeners, viewers, whatever it is that you're building in your business. It can live there and continue to do that for a long time. So there, I have no intention anytime soon of letting consciously speaking fade away, even though it is not my biggest money-making show per mm. se. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's definitely value there. And and do you find that now as you release like it's because you obviously started with one podcast and you've released and now you have five six active, how many? Uh, I've got four four active at the moment, but I do have a fifth one in the works. <laughs> okay, so okay, so you and then you've introduced these over time. Do you find that each one is bigger, or because they're kind of also a little bit disparate, or they're in different areas? For instance, like with the wine one, that it's kind of like starting from scratch each time. Is there any benefit? Like, do you, do you, do you get any kind of like network effect from running multiple podcasts? Yeah, you know what? I don't because mine are very different in nature, each one of them. I do get a little bit of overlap. And that is actually one of the cool things with the new show, The PodQuest Show, because there are a lot of people in different fields that are interested in podcasting. So that lends itself a little better to maybe some overlap. 
Um, but for the most part, they're very different markets. But that's not to say that one shouldn't attempt to cross-promote. And that is, of course, the value of creating some form of a network is that, you know, on one show, I can say, hey, check out my other show. And then on that show, refer to another one and bounce people around because the truth of the matter is podcast listeners, just like Netflix watchers, they're often looking for something new to add to their list to binge on a little bit. So yeah, I think cross-promoting is a very wise step to do. And as far as launching someone, some or as launching a podcast in 2020 uh, and beyond, we'll say, but 2020 right now. And so, what what do I need to come to the plate with, so to speak? Like, I have a new idea. Maybe I have, you know, maybe it's intentional, like to sell a course or coaching or whatever it might be. Maybe I've even scoped out the next few weeks in terms of marketing and getting an edge and getting new listeners. What works right now? Well, I'm a big advocate for learning and implementing growth hacks as far as audience goes. And I teach several of these, and I'm just going to, I'll share a couple quickies with you right now. But one of the things is that as a podcast host, let's key in on the word host. As a host of a party, you're going to be telling everybody, talking up the party. If you're going to throw a party, you're going to be going out inviting people. And so as a podcast host, you need to do the same thing. One of the things that I do is when I'm out and about, if I'm like, heck, even the wait staff at a restaurant, I might ask them, hey, do you listen to podcasts? Really? Cool. Do you have an iPhone? Here, let me see. This is my show here. You want to subscribe? And sometimes I'll even click on the subscribe button for them. You got a new subscriber there. And, and not everybody's going to stick, but that's the truth of any type of marketing. It's not all going to stick. But some of those people will go, hey, cool. I met this guy. He's actually got a pretty cool podcast. I waited on him the other day or whatever it may be. The other audience hack that uh, bookstores may not appreciate this, but uh, I suggest to all my students, you get little cards for your podcast, which just have your podcast logo in the front. Maybe in the backside, you could do one of those little QR codes and you could have say, hey, check out this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, wherever it may be featured. Go to a bookstore and find a section on your topic. And then pull every book on a topic, pull a book out, slip your card into that book, pop it back up there. You've just given the book buyer a bookmark. And as they buy that book and they take it home and they see that and they go, oh, this podcast is related to this book that I'm reading. Let me check it out. So it's just little hacks like that. If you can start to do things that because your audience, you're growing them one step at a time, one person at a time. And like I said, with the median download number being... 139 or so episodes, it it's, doesn't take a whole lot of growth to get up in there to the higher echelons in podcasting. I love that. That's that's a particularly great strategy I had not thought of before. Um, still appropriate, I think, even in today's uh, current circumstances, it can still work. <laughs> I, I love the idea of that, though. That's brilliant. Okay, so okay, so people have the, the lay of the land. They see that they can do this with pretty much any topic, any interest, maybe even as a side hustle. We've gone over some ways of kind of marketing, promoting it. Um, I know I don't want to get into the weeds on this because I think a lot of this you can just do searches, but I want to maybe do a quick fire and ask you just a couple questions. Recommendations for people on hardware, software, anything like that to get started, kind of baseline. Because I know again, it runs the gamut and can very get very expensive very quickly on this stuff. Maybe for those who are just starting, like what is truly like the baseline you need to do it right? If, if we go to the total baseline, Tom, you most people could they have everything they need in their smartphone. Yeah. If you've got, you know, an iPhone iPhone or a good Android phone, you could actually record. I, I know people who do their whole show from an iPhone. 
Now yep. that's the super baseline. I started my show originally with a $25 Logitech headset microphone combo. And, but quite honestly, if you want to get serious about it at all, it's not that much more of an investment to get like your microphone that you use, the HR2100. I, I think it's a hot microphone. It's cardioid microphone as opposed to uh, omnidirectional. It is a condenser micro, a dynamic microphone as, a, as opposed to a condenser. It's a great microphone, super versatile. 99 bucks right now yeah. on Amazon. So I think it's a great microphone. And the rest just goes into your laptop. I mean, there's free editing software out there with Audacity, GarageBand, if you've got that as part of your Mac setup. Yeah. There's yeah. not a whole lot else you have to do. Now, I do use a mixer and I've upgraded some of my equipment along the way, but for yeah. starting out, it's cheap. And then as far as hosting services, there's I know there's Libsyn. I use Podbean now. I started with Libsyn a long mm-hmm. time ago. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know if, you know, if it makes a big difference, but that's my ignorance on it. Cause I'm not, I, I podcast, but I don't really consider myself a podcaster per se, you know? So I don't really know, like, is, I mean, Podbean seems fine. Is there any benefit yeah. to like hosting on something in particular? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, I'm a big fan of Libsyn and I, I do think they're the best in, for a couple of reasons. One is the fact that first of all, they're the longest running podcast hosting platform. They've been around since the dark ages in podcasting, 2004. And they're the largest. They've got more people in it. Now, sometimes you might think, well, they're also going to be more expensive. But the truth is they're not. They are very competitively priced. They're actually cheaper than a lot of the places out there. But here's the key, why it's good to play with the big boy in the block. When something is new is happening in the space, when Spotify all of a sudden says, hey, we're going to start releasing podcasts on our channel, well, they go to the big boy to test it out with. And so as a host on Libsyn, my show was one of the first to be on Spotify because we had first access. Yep. Same thing, Pandora, you know, other stuff coming out. Right now, there's a new one that just released, which I'm not allowed to talk about yet, but it's out on Libsyn. And so, uh, yeah, there's, there's just that really cool benefit of being with that, that extra clout that it gets you. But there, all the platforms, there are several that are really great. There's a couple I would totally steer away from. I don't know if you want me to talk about that or not. But <laughs> Well, maybe, or yeah, well, I guess well, we have to wrap up time. So you know what? I, I'm really sure. curious about that. Maybe we'll put that in the show notes. Guys, come check out the show <laughs> okay. notes. You get, if, you have, if you have a couple that you recommend, avoid. But I, I wanted to get a, a last question before we do that. What are your thoughts on distribution of content? Um, kind of... touching on this, but in terms of like, okay, being on Spotify, being on iTunes, iTunes was like the baseline like a decade ago or whatever. And I think it still Mm -hmm. kind of is for a lot of people. But uh, what are your thoughts on this? I think many of these platforms like Libsyn, Podbean, I think makes it pretty darn easy to distribute basically everywhere as as quickly. So I'm guessing there's no disincentive to do that. But what are your thoughts? What do you have to hit? What do you have to be on? And then also taking that one step further, is it worthwhile to repackage, repurpose on social media platforms or YouTube or things like that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, to address the first part of your question, Libsyn actually stands for liberated syndication, the first three letters of each of those words. Syndication is simply that when you post something up to a hosting platform, that it gets syndicated out to all these other groups, which are known as podcast aggregators. That's all iTunes is. They're now Apple Podcasts, but it's a podcast aggregator or the colloquial term is podcatcher. And that's like the library. Apple is the biggest. 60% of all downloads worldwide pretty much are happening on Apple Podcasts. Spotify is coming in a second and growing. They're at about 10%-ish. And of course, these numbers fluctuate month to month. 
Uh, next up, pretty soon, is going to be you're going to see Pandora and Google Podcasts getting into the mix. Now, again, all this should happen for the most part automatically. Once you post to your hosting platform, it should get pushed out in syndication. There are a couple steps you have to do with Apple Podcasts and Stitcher submitting your RSS feed, but that's simple. The other part of your question is, well, you're going to have to refresh me. What was the second thing that you wanted to... Well, the second part was then distribution beyond those, like beyond, I guess, what... Yeah, what you had oh, the podcast. Yeah. Yes, social media, YouTube, yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff. Expanded distribution or repackaging, repurposing of the content. Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of repurposing. And so if you can repurpose your podcast and get it put onto YouTube as well, and by the way, there are some places that actually have that where it'll happen in an automated fashion. I think it's great to do. I think it's important to get a transcript of your show if you can. And there's a lot of cheap services now to do that and put that transcript in your website. It'll help with your SEO, but you could also turn it into a blog post if you want to. So definitely repurpose your podcast. There's so many ways to go with that content you've just created. Well, we've done like the deep dive and I know you got to go. So I want to wrap up here, but I want to give people a chance to find out more about you, connect with you. And do you have any resources or tools or anything that would be good for them to go check out to get started on their podcast journey? Yeah, absolutely, Tom. I, I love that you, first of all, presented me to your tribe. I appreciate what you're up to in the world, and I love how you support people out there. And what I'd like to give to them, if they're interested, it's a free report. It's called The Simple Five-Step Process to Launch a and Podcast in Just 14 Days. And I call it that because it was 14 days between when I heard what a podcast was and launched my first show. And it's, it's a quick and easy, down and dirty guide that'll help anybody to get started. We talk a little bit about equipment, platforms, all the basics that you'll need to get your show up there. So we'll make that available. We can put the link to that in the show notes and wherever else you post that type of stuff. And yeah, people can get that free gift. Fantastic. Well, guys, check out the show notes, tomworkus.com slash podcast. And uh, we'll make sure that's linked up in the show notes. Michael, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches. It was a real pleasure having you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here, Tom. I appreciate it. Awesome. And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating review. Just go to tomworkus.com slash iTunes, and that'll take you to iTunes where you can leave a five-star rating review. And that really helps spread the word about this podcast. And finally, if you need help growing your online business or generating new traffic leads and sales at a profit, reach out to me at tom at tomworkus.com or head over to the website tomworkus.com and sign up for the free newsletter. That's it for today. Stay frosty.